Well, it is good to have all of you here. I hope you're, uh, are you having a, a good beginning of the year? Good. At least one of you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and may God bless all the others in the room too. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, great to have you. Great to have those of you uh, joining us uh, online. And uh, I am sure there are a number of you that are new uh, here. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you're here at Christmas. Or, but uh, whether you're brand new, been coming decades, it is good to have you here. And we are starting off this new series the misuse of God. And uh, when you think about this, you know, the idea behind this series is just, it's trying to acknowledge that uh, there's this thing that happens at times where people or churches will claim something uh, about God that that is a claim that gets extended to you or me or to people. And sometimes it gets misused. Sometimes they speak on behalf of God in a way that God isn't. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a problem. It's caused trouble uh, in the... Oh, thank you very much. I strained my voice a little bit in the last uh, service. Don't worry. I, I won't yell at you. I was yelling at them, but I won't yell at you. No, that's it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, as we go through this series, I I hope it's something that's healing. I hope that it's something that, uh, draws you closer to God in all of this. And so as we think about this morning, what, what I want to talk about this morning, as we start off, uh, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever played a card game that involved like a trump card or a wild card, uh, in it? Okay. Yeah. So, um, my wife and I, uh, like, uh, we'll play spades sometimes, and there's some other couples that we've played spades with, and it's been a while since we've done this, but um, I always need Angie to be on my team, because she reads me too well, and when I get, you know, my little plan going, because I've got my cards, and I've got it all figured, she reads ahead of time, and inevitably, if we're not on the same team, like, I'll, I'll have it all set up where I've got, like, this little streak of cards, and I'm going to just, like, and I'm just, like, going through this. I remember one time, like I'm going through this and I'm winning hand after hand because I've got it all lined up and I strategized it all perfectly. And then she gives me this little giggle and I'm just like, and sure enough, like with like two cards to go and I've got like the ace and the king left. And then she trumps it with like a four of spades or something. And it's just so frustrating, right? Um, and, And the reason I bring that up or use this as an illustration is because there are moments when um, God gets used by someone else, like people or a church or in some way that acts a little bit like that wild card or that trump card. It, it's like a God card that just, it's like they lay it down in a moment and it's just like, well, you know, God said, so, you know, you know, tough, right? Um, example of this, a little extreme, but a genuine example. Uh, saw a, a televangelist. Uh, who was speaking and was saying that he needed a new jet plane. And when he said, you know, or actually he said another jet plane. And they're like, what, you've already got a jet plane? Turns out he already had two jet planes, but he needed a better jet plane, uh, I guess. And uh, no kidding, the reason he gave, and at first I'm just like, this is a funny joke and like, you know, but the reason he gave was God told him, there it is, right? Boom, right? God told him he, like, God doesn't want him riding in coach at all when he travels to do ministry. 
Yeah, I know, right? Just like, and, and, and business class isn't good enough? Apparently not. I don't know. But, I, like, you know, and you think about that for a second. And it's like, and he's asking all of these people to give money so that he can have a jet plane, you know? And it's like, and he gets, like, he gets a jet plane out of it. And all the people giving, to, what do they get? You know, the people, you know, they get a God who apparently doesn't like to ride in coach where they are, right? And, and you know, and it's kind of funny, it, it, but, but it also it, it aggravates me a little, right? Because there's also this side of it that you realize it's not just thousands, it's tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people like heard, okay, God told them. And so they've given to this, they've been pulled into this and, and you realize it, like it has an impact. Um, but probably all of us have had moments where we've been impacted uh, by this. If you think about it, I remember being in a Bible study, uh, and there was a delightful guy in it, but, uh, I remember like week after week after week, like when he would come in and whatever we'd share or prayer requests or whatever, uh, he had a string of things where like, you know, God told me to do this and God told me to do that and God, and, and again, and what I don't want to say here in this, I, the takeaway is not like, if you ever feel like God is speaking to you in some way or impressing a thought on your heart or your mind, like that couldn't be God. I'm not, that's not this. This is when we use God in a way to get something we want um, in a way that isn't genuine, right? It's a misuse of something. And it was interesting in this Bible study, like week after week, this kept happening. And uh, and I realized what was going on was it was feeding, he was getting something out of it. And it was a raised sense of esteem, which isn't a terrible thing, except that he kept doing this thing that was just like, see how important I am? God's always telling me all these things all the time. And it was lifting his sense of well-being, but it was leaving everyone else in the group of like, gosh, man, God, God doesn't pay a lot of attention to me in this. And God, like, God's always giving him direction and like, and me, I, like, I'm not getting much. Like, and, and you realize there was just this, subtle kind of misuse of God that was kind of always playing that God card on something. Maybe you experienced it in the home that you grew up in or the church that you grew up in. And it was a way to get you to behave a certain way. That it was like that God card got played all the time. That like, okay, you know, God told me that if you don't do this or you need to do this or God's gonna be disappointed with you or something like that. And and it has this negative effect that over time it plays itself out and it doesn't help us. In fact, in the end, it can leave us feeling kind of confused or uh, in bad cases, it can leave us with a kind of heartbreak because of what's happening there. And this is nothing new, right? The idea of, the, of that God card being played, that this has happened for, it happens in families and churches, communities, it's happened for centuries. And this morning, I wanna look at an example of where it happens uh, actually a long, long time ago uh, in the Old Testament. And it happens with the Israelites. There's, there's a moment where this kind of God card gets played with the Israelites and we see the effect that it has. And, and I want us to just 
walk this out a little bit. Um, we're going to be looking in uh, the Old Testament book of First Samuel. If you want to turn in your Bibles, if not, we've I've got the verses uh, that we'll put up on the screens here. First um, Samuel chapter four. Uh, l- let me just uh, set a little bit of the background on this. Uh, Israel is in this uh, land dispute with one of one of their kind of bitter neighbors. They had a terrible relationship with the Philistines. And they've been fighting it out with the Philistines over all this stuff. And this is around an area called Ebenezer. Uh, and they uh, actually go to battle with the Philistines uh, here in this story. But you need to know this. At this point in history, the Philistines have started entering into the Iron Age, right? So they're able to forge swords and spears and arrowheads and like their ability uh, to do that sort of thing has really come up. The Israelites at this point are kind of behind them. They haven't come into the Iron Age fully yet. So they don't know how to forge all of this stuff. So imagine what that means for like a battle, right? It's right. It's going to be a little lopsided. In fact, the way this battle goes, uh, it's uh, it's over in one verse. Okay, like verse two. They're, they're, you know, they line up for battle, and then it just says, "And the Israelites." And I'm not quoting it exactly here, but the Israelites lose bad. They're routed, and they lose four thousand soldiers in this single battle, um, and it happens fast. Right? Uh, it reminds me a little bit of a, I say a movie. Um, it was called a movie, but it was a really short movie. It was about a, I don't know, thirty seconds to ninety second uh, movie, and it was called The Roadrunner versus Godzilla. Yes, and it was a short movie. Because you can picture how the battle went, right? The movie starts off and the roadrunner's standing there. And before he can even say, you know, beep, beep, uh, this giant green foot just goes, and he's gone. And then the credits roll and it's over. And that's kind of how this battle goes, right? They're, they're in this picture, the Israelites, right? They're going into battle and they've got like wooden sticks that are sharp and pointy. Right? And the Philistines, they've got swords and shields, you know, and the, the Israelites, they're like, you know, honey, uh, can I have the top off that wicker basket? That'll be my shield today, right? And it's just, it didn't go well for them in this. Um, and so uh, you see this reaction of the Israelite leaders. And this is where I want to uh, pick this up. Look at uh, verse three, right? The battle takes place, verse two comes and goes. This is verse three. It says this, when the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines, right? And this is such a good, honest question. Like they, they went into this thing and they're just like, God, we thought for sure, like it just, this wasn't what we uh, pictured in this whole thing. Um, why, why did God do that? Ever find yourself in a difficult spot and you're just like, God, what is going on? Like, I'm trying, I'm working at this and what I understood about you. And just, like, we've all been at that place where things become difficult in uh, this. And it's interesting how the leaders respond in this. The, the leaders, right, they can't have this. And their first response is, we've got to go back into battle. We've got to go back to war uh, with the Philistines. We, we can't take this loss. But now I want you to picture yourself as one of the soldiers. Picture yourself as one of the family members of the soldiers. 
or someone who's going to be a fresh recruit, right? And you're there with, you know, your little wooden pointy stick, right? And they're like, okay, we need to go back into battle, right? You're probably not going, yay, that sounds great. Because I just saw what happened a little while ago. That didn't go well at all. You probably wouldn't be excited about jumping back into the battle with these guys, right? So I want you to see how the leaders respond in this. And you know, this could have been a different moment. This could have been the moment when, when something painful or difficult happens. Oftentimes in our spiritual journeys, right? This is our opportunity to pray, to reflect, to open our hearts, to look in a spiritual mirror. It's a, it's a chance to grow and learn, isn't it? It's also a time when we oftentimes go, oh, I don't want any of that. I just, I just, I want to get to an answer fast. I want to get out of this place. And that's kind of where the leaders uh, go uh, in all of this. And so uh, look back at the passage and you see um, how they respond here. Look at verse three. It says, let us, and notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, you know, let us pause and pray and seek the Lord's guidance in this, right? This didn't go the way we thought. Maybe we, maybe we need to understand God better, right? That's not what it says. It says, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that, it, so, that, so that he may go with us, speaking of God, with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, um, the Ark of the Covenant. So the leaders, their first response is, let's go get the Ark and go back into battle. Uh, and this is what you have to understand about the, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, A, did you see Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> yeah, right? So if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have some idea of this thing, right? So the Ark of the Covenant would have been this very ornate box, but that's not what was special about it. The Ark of the Covenant, like it, they put the, 10 commandments that Moses gave the Israelites like centuries earlier when they escaped uh, Egypt. Um, it wasn't just symbolic of spiritual things. For them, it represented the presence of God and not just an illustration or, or, or just symbolic. They believed that wherever that ark went, God was present right there. It's kind of like the ultimate trump card, isn't it, right? We're going to go into battle. Just take the ark, right? You know, you think the four of spades is something. Just wait till we get the ark, right? Because if God is present in the middle of the battle, how can we lose? And, and in a way, it, like this is what they've done. They, the leaders are looking at this whole nation of people, all these people that <clears throat> they're gonna drag into this fight. And it's like, we're taking the ark. Like God wants this. Um, it goes on, look at uh, verse four. It says, uh, so the people uh, sent men from Shiloh where the ark was and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord uh, Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim, which were these like carvings of these cherubim angels on the top of it. Uh, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So <clears throat> Eli was the high priest of Israel at this time, and he was a very elderly at this point. Um, for him to send his sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, it, it's like, this is what God 
once. They're like leading for, they would have been like leading the parade of the ark as it comes uh, into this. And it's kind of like the ultimate trump card. It's like, okay, like this is what God wants in this whole thing. So now again, picture yourself at this moment where it's just like, okay, I've got my sharpened stick. Like doesn't seem like a good idea to do that, but there's the ark. There's Hophni and Phinehas. Like Eli has sent his sons to do this. Like this, this would have been saying, this is what God wants, right? Ever have a moment where someone said, you know, this is what God wants you to do or what God wants in your life or how God wants you to behave or what God wants you to give? Yeah. And you know, in those moments, that it weighs heavily, doesn't it, right? Especially if it's uh, someone you respect, if it's your church, if it's part of a community that like, it's like, okay, if this is what God's saying, I guess so. And so all of these guys, like it, it has this powerful effect. And you've probably felt that in a moment where, where it's like, wow, God is in this and you get excited about this. And this is what happens uh, with the people. Look at verse uh, five. It says, when the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the, into the camp, all, the Israel, uh, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, what is all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? All right, so they're back at the, they're a long ways off at the other camp and they hear the celebration and the shouting and everything that's going on. When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A God has come into the camp. They said, oh no, nothing like this has ever happened. We're doomed, right? Like this is, like this is having a powerful effect and that's what happens. That's why, that's why it's such a dangerous thing because you really can take advantage of people. And I bet there's some of you here this morning, like you've experienced that. You, you've, you were excited. You did get pulled into something. But unfortunately, you've probably experienced moments when someone, they, they just, there was something and maybe they were well-intentioned, maybe they weren't. But rather than standing in the reality of what was, to give it some extra energy, I'm just going to, I'm going to stamp God on this. And you got pulled in, but it turned out that maybe God wasn't in it the way you thought or you were told. And that has devastating uh, effects, doesn't it? When that all gets pulled in. Um, So they go into battle. They go back into battle and they have the ark, right? And how do you think that battle turned out? Not good, not good at all. In fact, this time they don't lose 4,000 men in battle. They lose 30,000. Think of the impact that that has. This rocked their world. In fact, the battle goes so bad at one point, um, the whole army scatters and they sent a runner uh, some 18 miles from the battle scene back to Shiloh where Eli is to let him know uh, what has happened. And I, I want to read that to you because it, it captures, there's a thing here that captures the heartbreak that comes 
when God gets misused this way. Look at uh, verse 17. It says this, the man uh, who brought the news replied, and this is the guy who ran that 18 miles, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. And there's just going to be this, this story just keeps falling worse and worse and worse. Uh, They've suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Friends, that would have been the unthinkable in their minds. There's no way God would let the ark get captured. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about when we misuse God in this way, in a weird way, there's like this subtle thing that it's kind of like, well, you know, if, if, if I play the God card, it's kind of like, doesn't God kind of have to follow through? I mean, his reputation is on the line. Like we've prayed about this and we've said God is in this and God's going to do this. And so like, if God doesn't come through, like, well, he'll have to, right? No, like God can't be manipulated. And so the idea that the ark could be captured, like that's just, that's unthinkable. This is where the confusion and the heartache just like, and, and here's the deal. When, when people or churches misuse God to get what they want, they end up promising the just wonderful things, great thing, right? There's, there's this part of it, this real high point, but it always ends on this extreme low point. And you've probably felt that. Um, it's interesting in Hebrew, there are two words. One of them is going to come out in this story that capture this high point and this low point. The high point uh, is captured uh, with the word uh, Chabad. Chabad. Say it with me. Ready? Chabad. Try one more. Oh yeah. Ready? Here we go. Chabad. Okay. It's more guttural. Get, get, uh, get some more moisture or something going in there. All right? Ready? Say, say it with me one more time. Ready? Chabad, yes, that's right. And the idea of Chabad is, um, it represents the goodness and the beauty and the joy of God being in and involved in something. For there to be Chabad, like this is, I mean, this is wonderful. To see a beautiful sunset, say it with me, see a beautiful sunset, that is Chabad, yeah. Um, To hold a newborn baby, baby and just to experience the miracle of life, you would look at that and you'd go, this is Chabad. Yeah, that's right. If you're an extrovert and you have like lots of your, your favorite people over at your house and it's noisy and everyone's talking and it's a little chaotic and you're just like, yes, this is, say it with me, Chabad. Yeah. Now, if you're an introvert, you're like, I, mm, I can't get there, right? Because as an introvert, you're just like, no, Chabad is when they all leave. Yeah. And then my family leaves. And it's just me and the couch. So if you're an introvert right now, say it with me. Chabad. Yeah, you even said it with a softer tone. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's Chabad, right? Um, and this is what happens, right? There's this moment where we get pulled into this and it's like, oh yeah, God is in this. God told me to tell you, this is what you need to do, right? And it's like, oh, and we get pulled into that and there's parties and there's celebration and everything. But here's the deal, right? When we do that, we're setting it up for the greatest disappointment. 
And this is where this second word uh, comes into play here because as the news travels, uh, the story shifts in the narrative here just for a few verses and it follows um, the daughter-in-law of Eli who is like nine months pregnant. I want you to look at this, verse 19. It says this, it says, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, think of what, what's happening with her right now. She went into labor and uh, gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. I mean, her world has fallen apart, right? And then it says, verse 20, as she was dying, she's like this, the heartbreak, everything. She's, she's going to die. As she was dying, the women attending her said, don't despair. You have given birth to a son, but she did not respond or pay attention. Now, um, Next verse is where we see this word, but let, let me just set it up real quickly this way. So in Hebrew, they have a negative prefix that you can put in front of any word that kind of reverses or puts that word in the negative. Uh, we, the equivalent in English would be like uh, a or un. So like if I said, wow, I ate so healthy over the holidays here, right? Uh, but then if I added this little prefix un in front of healthy, it would be a much more accurate statement. Wow, I ate so unhealthy this past holiday, right? Um, that's what this little prefix, and it's ik. Ik is the Hebrew prefix that does that. So look at what happens in verse 21. She named the boy Ichabod. Ichabod. God's gone. God doesn't care. God has a abandon us. God is lost. And like right before this, there was like such promises of like, God's in this and we're going to take the ark. God wants us to go to battle and just, just, right? And it's just, but they're just playing the God card. And all these people go along and she goes along, but it's her father-in-law. It's her husband. It's the father of her child and it's all lost, see? And so she don't miss the significance of this. So she, as she's dying, her last words, she names her son Ichabod. And think about this. Think about what that would mean. This, this little boy is going to grow up an orphan and his whole life, every time his name is called, you know, Ichabod, people would be reminded, oh yeah, that was one of the worst days in the history of Israel. That you're remind, just seeing you reminds us, God abandoned us. God left us. But is that true? That would become his identity. But see, here's the thing. God never abandoned them in this but that's how they experienced it because that's what the misuse of God does. When, when right, and you've, you know this, like there's a moment where you get pulled into this in some way and it seems so good. And maybe whatever their intentions were, whether a church or a person, when they misused God in that way, 
I bet it left you feeling, questioning, abandoning. Can I trust churches anymore? Can I trust God anymore? In fact, uh, it leaves us with two questions, two questions that we oftentimes feel. And it's this, did I do something wrong? I think about this little boy named Ichabod. I bet he grew up, how could he not? The way everyone would look at him, the way everyone would talk about his day of birth, right? Think, of, think about trying to throw a birthday party, you know, on his birthday. Oh yeah, this is the day that God left us, right? He, he had to feel like, did I do this? Was I responsible? The other question that gets asked in this is, did God abandon us altogether? Like, was God not who I thought he was, Right? And I know, like, we all go this, through this, and I know there are some of you here this morning that are going through it now. I know that there are some of you that have gone through this and are going through this in very deep ways. And I am so sorry. Because I, I know it makes it hard to take that next step of faith. That's the problem with this. You know, I... Um, uh, Knew someone, had a friend, she's passed away, but someone that uh, I got to know, uh, but long before I knew her, uh, she grew up in a family and, and the, the church community that she was in played this card a lot. And this would be her words. She described it to me in this way. She said, you know, I grew up and I, I, I heard this. If you're a good girl, that's what was said to her precisely. If you're a good girl, and right, there'd be a whole list of things, you know, you need to read your Bible enough this way. You've got to pray this way. You've got to trust this with God. You've got to avoid these things. Like there are a whole list of all these things. If you're a good girl, and again, her words, God will prosper you, is what she would tell me. Like that, I heard that over and over, God will prosper you. She said, I just, I came away from that and I knew what they meant. Like, you know, I'll get a dreamy husband and my kids will be healthy and well and, you know, will be successful and like money won't be a problem and my health will be good. And just like, it's just, if I'm a good girl, if I do all the right things and she did all of the right things, she lived that out because Right, that was, But it was played like a trump card over and over and over and over. And somewhere in her early 20s, she got married and it seemed like a dreamy marriage and everything was wonderful. And uh, her husband was very successful. Um, she started going uh, back to school, wanted to get her degree and pursue a career. And it just was all wonderful until one day, the FBI knocked on her door. And the secondary thing that she found out the day the FBI knocked on her door from those agents was um, that her husband had been having multiple affairs and that just kind of crushed her. But as you can imagine, the FBI doesn't knock on your door to tell you that you know, your spouse is having an affair on you. Um, it was because he was also, the success of his business was very illegal. His, her husband had already been arrested that morning. She didn't know it. And they were coming to uh, seize evidence from her house. And I don't know how long it took the next month or, or months or whenever, but they seized virtually everything they had. She lost her house, their cars, every dollar in their bank accounts, gone. And she was crushed. 
And she came back to this question of like, God, where were you? I was a good girl. How did you let me marry someone that would crush me this way? How would you let this happen where this would all be taken away from? She had to drop out of school and get an hourly job just to make rent payments because she couldn't even live in her own house anymore. Um, and by the time I had came to know her, I actually got to work with uh, her. She um, was on staff here for a while. Um, she had worked through a decade or so of a lot of pain. But I remember one day she told me, she said, after that, I couldn't, I, I couldn't go to a church because I, I felt betrayed. I, I didn't know if it was me and I needed to feel shame or I didn't know, it like I felt lied to. I felt like it just, it crushed her spiritual journey. And here's the thing that, was, that crushed me about it when I heard her tell the story was that in a moment, right? In a moment where you get this kind of news, in a moment where, you know, you hear the news that someone precious to you has died, two people precious to you has died. Like when, when your world feels like it's come apart at the seams, you know the place you wanna turn, the place you need to hang on to, the place that you need to rest in and say, this is what will get me through, is your faith, Right? For us, it is our faith in Jesus Christ. It is our faith. The place we need to come back to is our church that centers us in our faith with Jesus. But my friend, because God was misused for so many years in her life, wasn't the place she could rest in. It actually became like the focal point of her pain. It, be, it was like, her very, she was questioning her own faith because God was misused in her life. And that's just not okay. And if that's happened to you, I, am, I mean this, I am so sorry because it, it does such damage. But I also watched as God kept working in her life. And by the time I first met her, um, she was back to church, but she would say, it, it was a long, long, painful journey of getting back to a place where I could trust a church and trust God. Um, she actually uh, was a part of our worship team years and years ago. Uh, she's since passed away, but she was a part of our worship team up here. And I got to see where God brought her. But it didn't have to go that way. See? And so can I, I just wanna offer a few things. Uh, here this morning, if you have found yourself in that place, right? Maybe, maybe it was um, you were told something uh, that God would come through. Like maybe you had a family member with cancer and someone told you, if you have enough faith, God will heal them. If you pray enough, God's gonna heal them. And they didn't get healed. And it left you hurt and doubting and wondering, or maybe it was with your marriage. You were told if you do X, Y, and Z, God will restore your marriage. And you did X, Y, and Z and God didn't, or maybe it was with your family or career. Let, let me offer a couple of, of, of things here just in closing with this. Um, and the, the, the first, and, and I wanna speak to this out of two different spaces, okay? So here's the first space. I wanna just take a moment because Again, I don't want, this is not a sermon about 
Um, if you ever feel like God speaks to you either in, in any way, shape or form, that's bad, ignore that. I, I'm not saying that. I think God loves to speak to us. I think the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our minds uh, in all of this and we should respond to it. But let's say there's something that God is putting on your heart or mind and you believe that it involves somebody else, okay? And you're in that place. Here, here's what I would say to that. Um, be cautious. Be really, really cautious before you use God's name with someone else. Because that carries a kind of weight that, that if you're wrong, can do damage. And sometimes, and, and I, right, sometimes we do that because we want to do it with boldness or something. But what I'd say, be cautious. And before you do that, spend some time in prayer and say, God, do I have this right? To God, what, what, like, maybe is this more about me or what parts of this are more about me and something that I want and find a way to separate that out. Uh, second thing in this is to be really humble about it. Even when you address it, don't, don't just because God has maybe said or spoken something to you, don't act like you are God in this with God's authority. Just be really humble as you address it. Ask more questions than assertive statements. And I would say instead of offering certainty to that person, because that's where we get in trouble, you know, I know if God, you know, if you do this, God will dot, dot, dot. Instead of trying to offer great certainty, find a way to come alongside and walk with them in faith. Partner with them. Don't be the abstract person who just is like, you know, speaking something uh, apart from the relational aspect of it. And you know what? If that person doesn't agree with you about that, that's okay. Let it be. Just let it be. But be something good and positive in this. Now, the second space, the second space in all of this is when we've been on the other side of this. What do you do when, God, when someone misused God with you and you're at that place of great heartbreak in this. And, and let me couch this with just this. I, and I wanna say this, not just from me, this comes from my heart, but I wanna say this on behalf of all the elders of this church, of the Casas Council, of the leaders, and of the staff of this church. If you are here, sorry, if you're here and you're new, and you have experienced this and you walked through these doors and it's been a long time since you've ever walked into a church and you came because a friend or someone invited you and said, hey, this church is gonna try and deal with this in an honest way. Uh, let me just say this. We are so honored that you would trust us and trust this community with something very vulnerable in your soul. And I really mean this. Because um, I have friends that, uh, yes. <clears throat> and uh, if you're here and that's you, that is, that is this church community affirming that, that, that we get what it takes sometimes to step into a space. But you are wanted here. And we honor 
whatever journey you have been on, and we want to treat it and you uh, with great grace and respect in this. We're just honored that you're here in this. So if you're in that space, and, and I'm going to expand this out to all of us, whether you've been a part of this church for a long time or, or whatever, but you're in that space where you've, you've been hurt by something along this lines. A, a couple of things here, and I'm going to just close out with this. One, separate God from the person of the church that you felt hurt from. And I know that can be hard to do. But you know, I look at this story in 1 Samuel. That wasn't God. That wasn't God. In fact, go back and read the story. God, is, God stays in there and he is at work. God never, ever abandoned them. It is what they thought. It is what they felt. And I know they believed it, but it wasn't true. God is still at work in your life. And, and just separate the person of the church from God. Secondly, um, know that God still has something good and beautiful for you. He does. He had something good and beautiful for the Israelites that he brought them into. Um, he had something good and beautiful for my friend that I shared that about. I've experienced this. I'm sure if you talk to other followers of Christ, there would be moments where they'd say, you know, that was really hard and I struggled through the doubts, but I, but I now can look back and see that God was still at work in my life. And what I would ask you to do is maybe trust and then look for that God is actually still at work in your life and will bring good things, even though you're at a hard point. And lastly, take a step of faith with some others. Take a step of faith. Don't let this kind of hurt cause you to retract and isolate. Um, Keep coming to this series. And, you, and you're allowed to keep coming after this series if you want. Come to the Wednesday night connection at Casas. Uh, find an ABF. Uh, find a place to volunteer. Find a, meet some people. And be in a community as you walk through it. And see if you don't experience something different in this. And together, um, we get to be a kind of church that steps forward and says, we'll let God be God. And, and we will be careful about not stepping into a place where we misuse God because it might get us something that we want. Because in the end, that's not what we want.